Hey, 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 and welcome back to the Clark and Miller English Podcast. And if this is your first time here, then just welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Good to have you here. Uh, we have a lot uh, on today. It's, um, it's quite a long one. But this one uh, is one, it's, I think it's going to be one of my favorites because um, I have a really in depth, um, fascinating chat with Andreas Grundvig, who's just written a book all about pragmatics. What are pragmatics? Well, you're going to just have to listen to find out. And now I have to let my cat out of the room. Yeah, I think she didn't like my.、Uh, My ranting. So, yeah, what are pragmatics? Well, you'll have to find out, but I can give you a clue because today we're going to talk about a lot of things, including how gamers now、uh, and the gay community in the early 20th century and London Cockneys evolved their own form of English and why. Why did they create these creative? Uh, forms of English. We talk about why they wrap the news in Senegal.、Um, we talk about how learning about Grice's maxims, what are they? Well, there's a previous podcast episode on those. How learning about Grice's maxims can help you see through modern propaganda.、Mm. We also talk about how you can understand people from different countries. Beyond the food of the country and the flag of the country and stuff like that. Really understand how people tick、um, uh, from different places in the world.、Uh, how to terrorize people by being polite. Yep.、Uh, and also, you know,、uh, with each of、uh, the interviews of the Clark and Miller English podcast, everyone gives three things, three tips. And with Andreas, he gives us three things you can do right now to improve. Your pragmatic competence. So, yeah, I won't, I won't bore you with any more details. It's a great interview. If it's too long, don't worry, just stop. Listen to 20 minutes and stop and go and do something else and leave it a day and come back to it. That's what I do with long podcast episodes.、Um, yeah, and I'm just going to say、um, come to clarkandmiller.com. We have free stuff, free little free books. Uh, free blog posts,、uh, the podcast episodes,、um, and some stuff you can buy too if you're feeling like buying something.、Um, yeah. And also, if you are a Spotify listener, we are almost at 500 followers on Spotify, which I think, according to the internet, is, is not a huge deal, but quite a big deal. So, It would be really good if you're on Spotify, just hit that follow button because then we'll, we'll get to 500 and we get to have a little celebration here at Clark and Miller headquarters.、Um, but yeah, without further ado, let's,、uh, let's talk to Andreas. I want to apologize very quickly in advance. The audio quality isn't perfect.、Uh, I blame Zoom,、um, but you get used to it pretty quickly.、Um, yeah, it's just one of those things.、Uh, three or four minutes in, you won't even notice. Okay, I'll leave you to it. I think there won't be an outro for this one. So when you hear the music at the end of、uh, the chat with Andreas, that's it. That's the end. Cool. Enjoy, and I will talk it to you next time. All right, cool. I'm sitting here virtually with Andreas Grundvig,、um, who is, I pronounced that right, did I? Grundvig. Yeah, sure. Good, good, good. 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 
Uh, yeah, Hello. he's just just written an awesome book about pragmatics. What is pragmatics? Well, we'll talk about that later. It's called English as Context. Um, it's good. I like it a lot because it's got lots of quotes from Monty Python, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Winnie the Pooh, Johnny Rotten, and yeah, a bunch of highbrow people like Nietzsche and Plato and stuff. Um, and before we talk about you, uh, Andres, I want to talk really quickly about Gintas. Gintas is, is in the book. It's a, a character in the book. I'm going to quote directly from the book because I wanted to start instead, you know, most podcast episodes and interviews, it's often like, you know, we start talking about the interviewee immediately. But I want to talk about the listener at the beginning today because um, I think Gintas, well, listeners, Gintas is you. I think it's a lot of you. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote from the book. Uh, One such learner, we'll call him Gintas, told how for many years he had collected comics, instruction booklets, historical texts, any printed material that he could lay his hands on that might help him to learn and painstakingly translated them all until he acquired an excellent knowledge of vocabulary and sentence structure. But for all that time, he had no one to interact with in the language he was trying to learn. When the opportunity finally arose, despite all his learning, he was barely able to communicate. All right, Gintas, who reads and translates and has vocab lists and all that stuff, but still couldn't really communicate in English or the language he was learning. Um, this is probably familiar for a lot of our listeners. Uh, if, you're, if you're an English learner, this might be you. If you're an English teacher, this might have been you, and it might be some of your students. And what we're going to talk about today, hopefully, what Andreas and I are going to discuss, uh, will hopefully show you where Gint um, Gintas went wrong and how to fix this kind of problem. If this is a familiar situation, if you feel like Gintas, keep listening. Hopefully we can help you. <laughs> so, cool. We started with Gintas. Let's talk about you, Andreas. Who are you? Who am I? <laughs> no, good question. I start my book, actually, with um, uh, a quote from Ortega and Gasset, uh, the, the Spanish philosopher. And I mentioned here, let me just find it for you. Um, um, it reads, uh, Yo soy yo en mis circunstancias y si no la salvo, a ella no me salvo yo. I am me and my circumstance, and if I don't save that, I don't save myself. Who am I? Uh, good question. I'm a teacher, um, I'm a father, I have so many roles. Uh, mm. So many roles that I don't even think about. Um, I'm based in Hamburg, in Germany. Mm -hmm. um, I started as a teacher in Spain a long time ago. Um, and I've been teaching for about 20, 25 years, probably more. Um, if I start doing the mathematics, it's probably a lot more than that. Mm -hmm. um, and, yeah, for the last... I'm going to say the last decade because it really was 10 years at least from when I had this idea. Let's put this book together to actually um, having something in my hands, being able to hold it and, and look stuff up in my book. So, cool. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So among, <laughs> among all these other identities, you're also a writer, I suppose. 
Yeah, true. Yeah, true. Yeah. <laughs> cool. And I, I wanted to like touch on your background because you have a really interesting background. And I'm wondering, like, if you could share it, but also if you could sort of relate it to why you've become so interested in pragmatics. Um, mm, now, okay. I, it's a bit tricky to answer because a lot of people don't know what pragmatics is yet. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But mm-hmm. yeah, in a sort of more abstract way, tell us about your background and why pragmatics interested you in relation to that okay a long time ago when i was very little um i was living in a fishing village lovely fishing village it's really idyllic uh on the west coast of sweden speaking swedish uh, my first language um and just enjoying life there and then my parents decided okay it's time for a change let's go and live in the uk Uh, My father was an artist, so he um, painted lots of pictures and needed constantly. He was looking for inspiration and he was drawn to Scotland. And then um, that meant that for me, I was kind of removed from this area um, um, and pushed into school in Scotland and get on with the language kind of thing. How old were you at the time? Um, I was barely six. I don't think I'd turned six yet. Wow. Yeah. Six years old, you were suddenly in an English-speaking country, and you had no English. Yeah, sure. Exactly. Okay. 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 And then, yeah, I I had to learn double quick because I was going to an English school, no support at that time for, Mm -hmm. you know, for the language learner or anything like that. It was just get on with it, learn nursery rhymes or something in your own time and then come to school and speak. Um, and then I did that and I, I copied, you know, I, I tell people I speak eight languages. I don't know what to speak a language means, um, but I, I can communicate in eight languages. Mm-hmm. Um, but with English, when I was learning English, it's now my strongest language. Um, I was constantly using phrases um, that didn't really mean what I thought they meant in context. Um, Also, people would say stuff to me in a culture that was completely new to me, and I would understand one thing, but really they meant something very different. Okay, this is interesting, because this is a core of (laughs) pragmatics. Um, So you're saying that you were saying things that you thought had a meaning, but they had a separate meaning, and also Mm -hmm. people would say things, you thought it meant one thing, but it meant another another thing sure yeah yeah but this isn't about the vocabulary and the grammar right when they said something right like, sure. mm-hmm, yeah go ahead can you think of any examples of these um well i mean the, the classic example is a bit of a cliche but when mm-hmm. somebody says uh, that's interesting mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all right it, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to mean that it means um yeah actually that's quite rubbish or it depends on who says it and in what what situation absolutely yeah so that's a good example the phrase that's interesting might mean that the person thinks it's interesting but it might mean that they think it's really terrible mm-hmm. yeah. Sure. Sure. yeah yeah and there's lots of examples like that yeah. and the, the more you explore this kind of area um as i did um, when I became a teacher and interested in language uh, in, from the perspective of teaching it, um, you discover so much more, so many yeah. more examples. Yeah, yeah. 
So you can understand the grammatic, the grammar and the syntax and the semantics of that's interesting. You understand what it means <laughs> literally, but yeah, there's always, well, there's sometimes hidden meanings behind these, behind the grammar, behind the syntax and behind exactly. the vocabulary. Yeah. yeah. And we're going to walk slowly towards the definition of pragmatics, but I think already we're, we're already building quite a clear image. But I want to yeah. I want to draw on like a few examples from the book that were really cool examples of pragmatics. Um, so, well, one of them's not from the book. The first one is actually from our correspondence because um, pragmatics is everywhere, right? So we we use it all the time. Or we, do we use pragmatics? That's a different question. Um, so when we were talking about doing this podcast, like arranging this podcast on Facebook Messenger, I think mm -hmm. it started with you. Well, we'd already talked about it like a long time before. You were busy with the book. Um, so you didn't have time to, to have the interview. And then you sent me a message talking about a previous podcast that we did, the one with Chia. Uh, mm -hmm. I, can't, I can't remember which episode it was. It was about five or six episodes <laughs> ago. And, um, I know where the was going. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. You, you might remember. So you, you complimented me on, on the on the podcast episode. And yep, I, and also generally on, on my podcast. So thanks for that. That was very nice of you. But then also, yeah. <laughs> thanks Sorry, yeah, 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 of course. And um, that was nice. But then obviously I realized that there's something else going on there too. I mean, I know you did like the podcast um, episode, but it was also a, a reminder, wasn't it? Uh, that, mm -hmm. that you're ready <laughs> to do the interview. Yeah. Yeah. And I, ooh, let me, yeah. give me a second. I'm going to draw, I'm going to bring up that conversation. Because, um, mm -hmm. yeah, it's a really simple example of pragmatics. Um, you didn't ask to do the podcast interview at all, but you did ask to do the podcast interview. Um, mm -hmm. So you wrote, finally got round to listening to you and Cheer. Such a lovely chat, like listening to two friends I haven't seen for a while. Um, and I said, yeah, it was one of my favorites. She found us a pound. You said, it's such a natural conversation, so the length is fine. Your interviews are much nicer than Teacher's Cafe. You're a natural. Thank you very much. And then I wrote, thanks, mate. Really appreciate it. Speaking of which, <laughs> we're on for an interview sometime soon. You wrote, you got the hint. So there you go. That's an example of pragmatic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In action. Um, the, another example was from the book. Um, you talked about the life of Brian. Um, mm. the, the wall. And I think this resonates with uh, English learners and English teachers, people who are used to the teacher-student dynamic. Um, remind remind me of that that episode, that sketch that part of the film. Life of Brian is a Monty Python film. Mm -hmm. What happens? Okay, so there's Brian uh, who wants to join. I can't remember. I think it's. I'm gonna um, get this wrong, but I think it's a Judean People's Front. Um, could be wrong. It could be oh, the People's Front, people's front of Judea. I think. Is it the People's Front of Judea? Or the popular front, maybe. Um, and his first mission is to go to the forum wall and to paint, uh, like in one small corner, Romans go home. In Latin. And he, in Latin. In Latin, exactly, yeah. And he goes and he does this, and he's caught by the centurion. Mm -hmm. And the centurion bends his ear, just like you would expect 
in uh, the kind of traditional school setting. And he, and he says, um, okay, um, get this right, boy, you know, get your grammar right, it's wrong here. Mm-hmm. And, so Brian and he does it and yeah, corrects yeah. him. Go on, Gabriel, sorry. Yeah, I just want to recap it as well. Yeah, so Brian's there to write some anti-Roman graffiti. A Roman catches him, a soldier catches him and says, uh, your grammar is terrible. You got it all wrong. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then he says, now write it out a hundred times. That's it. Yeah. Okay. And then the, in the morning, like there's really, there's Brian who's really exhausted. He, and it's all over the forum. Massive letters. Romani. I can't remember. Oh, I can't one. remember. Yeah. And Donald or something like that. Yeah. That's it. Um, so, yeah. yeah, this was a really good example of... Um, this centurion, this Roman soldier, was focusing so much on the grammar, he was not focusing on the meaning of the, of the message, Romans go home. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, that's where the joke is, and a good example of pragmatics and comedy. Um, and yeah, I think this is really familiar to teachers when, like, um, yeah, something teachers and possibly learners are guilty of, it's this focus on the language so much that the pragmatics and the message mm. is ignored yeah. at the peril of communication. It's very easy if you're a teacher and also if you're a le- language learner to focus on the, let's just call it the grammar and the vocab and not the message and the signal behind it. I've got a really embarrassing example that I had. Uh, I, I was in two minds to share this. I might even cut it out, but I'm going to, I'm going to tell it anyway. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so I was I had a, a, some students, and we would is before the lesson. I was having a conversation, and uh, one of my students said, "I'm really sorry, I couldn't come to the lesson yesterday because, um, like, was it my mother dead, or my mother-in-law dead, or something like mm-hmm. that?" And immediately I started correcting her grammar and her vocabulary because she got it wrong, <laughs> and didn't okay. think for a second that her mother-in-law had just died and that was not the right time to talk about talk about the difference yeah, yeah. between death and die and dead um yeah so i think that's that's it's a shameful example yeah but i mean do you see this a lot with learners and teachers focusing oh, sure. on this? yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm, i mean it goes back to this argument about uh, um prescribing correctness um and um communication yeah okay it gets in the way of communication and and in the same way pragmatics that we're going to talk about in a moment um can also get in the way of communication it can um it can just end the conversation right there leaving both partners conversational partners wondering what happened yeah yeah yeah, yeah, it yeah. Can kill any sort of conversation if you focus too much. Sure. On the grammar. Yeah. Okay, cool. I've got one more example from the book. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. This is, we're still in the what is pragmatics uh, section. So, yes, um, it's kind of a core example. You do a really good job of listing um, some different phrases. So we've got, give me a second, on page 20, if anyone's following the book. Um, yeah, a simple phrase like "I'm tired." Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. in the book, yeah, in the book, you you point out that what does that mean, right? Why does somebody say "I'm tired"? Um, you, you've got three reasons. I can think of like a hundred as well. 
you might mm-hmm. be excusing yourself because you want to go to bed after a long day. You might be excusing yourself for not being able to concentrate uh, or do something well because you're tired. Um, or it might just be that you're complaining um, that you don't want to listen to something anymore or do something anymore. Mm-hmm. It might be a way of telling someone to stop. So this is like, it's a, such a simple phrase, I'm tired, but why is someone saying it? And there are, there are a hundred possible messages um, for that. Um, you also talk about saying hello, saying, oh yeah, what's this? Yeah, mm-hmm. hello. Um, mm-hmm. It could just mean hello as a greeting, but you could also say hello as a warning. Uh, like There's a tone for that, isn't there? Like, mm-hmm. Hello. Yeah. That's a good point. It's uh, Intonation is a massive clue, yeah? I mm-hmm. mean, it, it, a lot of it has to do with how um, we, w- when we speak, we, we can pick up on this intonation. Mm-hmm. And when we write, if we write emails, for example, or if we're in the chat, or whatever, then that is quite often missed. Uh, We can use smileys and things to help us Mm -hmm. to kind of express how we're feeling, but uh, still the intonation is gone. Yes, yeah, Mm -hmm. the difference between hello and hello is Mm. quite different, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting you brought up smileys. Yeah, emojis are quite a good way of introducing pragmatics to, um, like, you know, digital chatting. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah, yeah, I think definitely. I think it was David Crystal who said that uh, it's it's not emojis are not about replacing words, but it's it's actually a very complex form of punctuation. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 And language mm-hmm. isn't just speech. Language is a lot of other things too. Mm-hmm. Expressions, intonation is part of speech, but it can also be. Um, I mean, relationships and are, are part of language as well. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, a couple more examples from, from this. Uh, happy birthday. Yeah, you can say that when it's mm-hmm. not birthday. But you can also oh, say... happy birthday. Oh, yeah, happy yeah. birthday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What does that mean? Sorry. What, what's the signal there? Yeah. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. What's, what's the signal there when you say it in that way? When you say it in that way, uh, that reminds me of, um, I think it was Newman and Baddiel, two uh, British comedians. Yeah, um, Nin- 90s um, guys, weren't they? Exactly. They had some, they had, they were part of a group called the Mary Whitehouse Experience. Um, and they created a character, I think his name was Ron, who spoke in a sarcastic tone of voice. Uh, and they would put him into like normal conversational or normal situations, and he just could not escape his sarcastic tone of voice, and they got <laughs> him into all kinds of trouble. That's yeah. good. Yeah, and yeah, you could use it sarcastically. Yeah, happy birthday. Mm. Good for you. Mm. Yeah, exactly. A uh, couple more examples, please. Okay, you can say please to invite somebody. Um, that you can also interesting with please as well sorry gabriel yeah, um, yeah, yeah, no. if we if we break it up yeah not please but per lease mm-hmm. into two are they diphthongs or um then, yeah thank you two syllables <laughs> uh, yeah um couldn't find a word yeah um, <laughs> then then it just changes the whole meaning 
if you break a word up from one syllable to two syllables, it can change the whole meaning mm -hmm. and how it's interpreted. And so on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, please. Mm. It, it means kind mm. of like kind of it means shut up, right? <laughs> like it sure. can mean that. Sure. Yeah. Cool. And yeah, there are more, but uh, let's move move on. We got the idea of how that works. Yeah. So intonation, the way you break up a word, and just the context in how you use a word can can make everything completely different and have mm -hmm. a different message. So yeah, these examples are good, I think. And we, we we've looked at some examples. How would you define pra pragmatics? We've reached that point. What is pragmatic? Let's, let's oh, people have tried. Yeah, all the okay. best people have tried to find a different definition ah. for it, I think. Okay, um, so it's tricky. It's tricky to define. Yeah, so mm -hmm. basically my, my own definition, I think, would be, um, well, it's, I'm, I'm really influenced by Leach, um, mm -hmm. but uh, how words take on meanings in situations and in the... Um, how a word is understood depends on the situation in which it's used. That's great. Um, yeah. The so, context, yeah. I guess. Is, is yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I guess that's why the book is called English is Context. Mm -hmm. because, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Pragmatics is about the context. Okay, great. That's cool. Nice and simple definition. We've seen lots of examples. So we, I think by now we're all getting a, a sort of clear idea about what it is and, and how it works. Signals is a word I like using. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, like w the way you say something and the context you say it in produces signals, um, and those signals you're probably trying to communicate without saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, I've got a few questions. The general okay. question: um, What's the difference between pragmatic awareness and simply? Rules for correct behavior. The difference between pragmatic awareness, being aware of how pragmatics works, and rules for correct behavior. And general rules. True, true, true. Yeah. Okay. What is, uh, uh, what is appropriate, I suppose, knowing what is appropriate for the situation, mm -hmm. whereas rules, you might know how to be... Uh, you just reminded me of another video sketch. Uh, search for this if you're listening um, mm -hmm. on YouTube. Have a look at John Cleese at Graham Chapman's funeral. Okay, I haven't seen John, that either. John Cleese. Right, yeah, at Graham Chapman's funeral. He gives a speech. Mm -hmm. And uh, the behavior is for him, or the expected behavior for, is for him to be there and be very solemn. Uh, respecting Graham because Graham Chapman has passed and speaking out of respect for the family. But really, um, yeah, he, he, <laughs> what does he do? He, he just uh, says good good riddance to him, um, piece of rubbish, you know, kind of thing. And that, um, he's playing with the expected behavior, but he's also, everybody knows that is John Cleese, because it's John Cleese, it works. If I was to go to a funeral, okay, and to start speaking like that, then it would fall pretty flat, and I would probably mm -hmm. not be spoken to anybody again. Yeah. But because yeah. it's John Cleese, he can get away with that kind of thing. Mm. Um, and I guess and that takes, mm -hmm. sorry, Gabriel, that, that takes, um, I think that would take a pragmatic um, awareness to, to realize that, he doesn't really mean what he says. 
Okay, people yeah. will take him. Yeah. Yes, yes, that's yes. And also his John Cleese was obviously very, very close to Graham Chapman, whose funeral mm. it was. So I think because they were good friends, that mm-hmm. it means he can act the opposite way that he would he was expected to as well. Sure. Yeah. Sure. In a quote unquote disrespectful way. Okay, so this is an interesting example. John Cleese has pragmatic awareness. He's aware of the context. He's aware that people know he's a comedian. Uh, he's aware that he's very good friends with the person who died. Um, mm-hmm. So the way he's behaving isn't um, isn't showing that he's not pragmatically aware. It's it's clearly he's he's clearly pragmatically aware, but right. it's not rules for correct behavior. Talking badly about someone when they're dead at their funeral. Mm-hmm. It's a great sure. great example. Yeah, you can see that in action. Um, maybe com- I can share another example with yeah, you as yeah. well, which is maybe a little bit similar to that. I spent maybe the first, it took me a, a while, probably two months, uh, researching the Suffolk uh, dialect. I, I grew up in Suffolk mm-hmm. uh, and, and wrote, uh, it looks like an academic piece, but it's really tongue-in-cheek. Mm-hmm. And I, I compared it to, to Danish Oh, and the Suffolk dialect and Danish, the Danish language. I read this. It's on your blog. Yeah, right? okay. it's on my blog, exactly. Um, Thebirdisaword.org, just a quick plug there. Um, but um, Peter Trudgell saw it. Um, the, the, tell us who the, Peter Trudgell is. Just for he's a linguist and a professor of language. He's written extensively on, on dialect and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and because it was tongue-in-cheek, he wrote back to me and he sent a comment, and, and, you know, Peter Trudgell, I look up to him, uh, really respect him. And he wrote, uh, congratulations, that's brilliant, very erudite, very ingenious, very interesting, very entertaining, very clever, very funny. And then, and of course, almost 100% wrong. <laughs> uh, and he, he wrote, that's what he wrote as a comment to me. Mm-hmm. And when I saw that, I was too busy, again, um, looking up to him and respecting him to realize that he could also, in his position, he could also have a laugh with me. Exactly. Yeah. And there's all kinds of things going on there, uh, not just uh, the power distancing, maybe, uh, but also, you know, um, using humor, saying things that we mean but don't really mean. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. Yeah, it's like yeah. yeah, I guess it plays with our expectations of people too. You know, mm. when we when we meet a professor and we discover that they go to the gym and they're actually really funny. Mm-hmm. Sure. Exactly. Um yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, good. That's a good example. Um so it's a John Cleese one. Also, uh next question. Um, we're going for some direct questions, but don't worry. Mm. It'll get, it'll okay, get loose fine. again in a minute. Um All right. Uh, learners learners okay so this is a big thing and i think this is important for for our listeners um whether they're teachers or language learners um that probably covers everyone not just english learners but general language learners when learning a new language a lot of people tend to take a very sort of mathematical point of view they learn Mm -hmm. grammar they learn the syntax and they learn the vocabulary much like gintas at the beginning mm. of the episode, like, sure. and they look at it as something very, yeah, mathematical, I suppose. 
mechanical. And obviously it isn't, you know, and this, this thing that Gintas has, this problem he has is that he's thinking, yeah, okay, grammar, vocabulary, all I need to do is learn that and then I can speak English. Then he discovers he can't. And the problem there is the pragmatics. Uh, I guess that's one of his main problems. So mm -hmm. when you're learning a language, if you're, or even if you're quite far into learning the language, or if you're a teacher uh, trying to get, you know, your students to, to do their best and, and become as good as they can at a language, how can you introduce pragmatic competence uh, into this process, especially from early on? Like what kind of, sort mm, of okay. yeah, what would, what, do you have any, any suggestions on how to do that? We were talking earlier about the, the very basic phrases like um, hello um, and how that can be misinterpreted. Mm -hmm. People um, I, I quite often um, with lo low level learners, I'll write the word hello on the board. And I'll say, do you know this word? Yeah, of course we do. You know, you don't, you don't really need any level of English to understand hello, I guess. But then I ask them for alternatives. What else have you heard? Oh, we've heard good afternoon. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but we've heard this as well. We've heard different variations. I use hi. What is wrong with hi? Okay. Mm -hmm. People use hi in the, in the wrong context. People will take it. Um, I've, I've even seen people offended by being said hi to. Really? Uh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and and then you can you can start like with the very basic words in the Cambridge exams, for example. Very basic uh, Cambridge exams. The word thank you. I'll go into the speak. I, I have to tell all of my students this because I prepare a lot of students for Cambridge exams. Um, and the word thank you from a speaking examiner. They're not thanking you. They're telling you to stop speaking. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I okay. have to say, this is, it's not a bad thing if they say thank you. You know, it just means that you've said as much as you need to say. Mm -hmm. uh, and then it's somebody else's turn. Yeah. And they, even at high, it, this goes from really low level to high level. They, they still don't get what this thank you is all about. Yes. You know? Okay. So you've got like two directions here in this in this answer. You've mm -hmm. got um, you've got a simple word like hello and how many other ways you can say it and what, mm -hmm. but not just increasing your vocabulary. But when would you say this? When would you say this? When would you say this? What context is high? Okay. What context is good afternoon? Okay. Um, mm -hmm. But you've also got uh, looking at one uh, one phrase. Thank you. And not the alternative to this, the the word, but the alternative to how what it could mean. You know, it could mean Absolutely. I appreciate it. It could mean stop. It could mean mm. um, shut up. <laughs> it could mean I hate you. <laughs> you know, if someone says, does something terrible to you. Yeah, right. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Again, information. Yeah. yeah, it could be sarcastic. So yeah, that's good. Um, so I guess something learners can do is just basically look at a single word very common mm. word and look at those directions they can go like sure yeah yeah i kind another of thing i find really sorry Gabriel. no 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 go ahead go ahead another thing i find really um useful for me i'm i'm not a fan of role play okay mm -hmm. i really don't like role play um with the students that i teach i teach people between maybe 16 and 22 typically mm -hmm. Uh, and asking them to put themselves in a situation 
and to be that person is just too silly for them or too you know they, they're too cool too cool for that kind of thing mm-hmm. but if you give them a, a, a line from the song like choose any song that maybe can be a song that they like and they have to put this line into context and you don't tell them it's a song but they have to use this line think about how it's used mm-hmm. and then they create the conversation around that line rather than around the situation Wow, that's, that's really, really cool. cool. That's a great idea because then you can, yeah, they're they're forced to think about the context, not the language. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, they're starting with the language, yeah. but their 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 work is in the context. Yeah. That's great. That's I'm going to use that. That's a fantastic idea. Um, I call it reverse role plays. Reverse role play. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Create the context. Don't give them the context. It reminds yeah. me very briefly. This is a bit of a teacher's joke. Um, but you know what? I haven't decided whether this podcast is going to be for learners or teachers yet. So this, <laughs> okay. will push, this will push it to the red, to the teachers. But um, yes, um, the communicative language teaching approach, right? It was, it was basically the center of, of English teaching for about 30 years uh, from the early 80s. And um, I remember reading something Michael Swan, Mike Swan wrote, describing the communicative, la- communicative language teaching approach. And he just said, um, uh, what was it? Uh, talk to your partner about radio rhubarb for five minutes. Something like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, mm-hmm. you, you, you are, you, was it? You are, you are Tony. Talk to your partner about radio rhubarb. And that was like his parody of uh, communicative language. Uh, right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And it's true. I think a lot of teaching and a lot of, you know, this, this thing, you, oh, you have to give your students a role play and they have to pretend to be someone completely different and they have to imagine how the, that person, I mean, acting is difficult. Mm. <laughs> like, sure, yeah, sure. why yeah. do we have to make our students act all the time? It's ridiculous. Mm. Yeah, I like this. Make, make them create a context. That's, that's all they need mm-hmm. to do. And then they can that works for them, for their situation as well, or their, their, their context. Their yeah. context, exactly. Yeah, something exactly. real for them. No, no radio rhubarb stuff. Yeah. Okay. Um, here's a tricky question. Um, does the language contain the pragmatic? Or is, mm. it, is it purely cultural and purely contextual? Where is the pragmatic? Where does the pragmatic live? Is it in the language? Is it contained within the language? Or is it something more mysterious and ethereal? I don't think you can separate them. I mean, uh, it's kind of, it's almost, to me, it's almost like a chicken and egg thing. Ah, cool. Mm-hmm. Um, a friend of mine said, um, his name's Brian Thomas, he lives in, in Hungary. Uh, he, he said, do the words write us or do we write the words? I'm thinking about that. Give me a second. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That feels like a very languagey situation yeah and then, then you're kind of going into philosophy as well and, yeah. and things like that you know yeah um, wow yeah that's just that's just kind of screwed my brain i'm going to be thinking about that for the rest, <laughs> of, the, the rest of this interview um yeah it also reminds me um i don't know if you read ian banks uh mm-hmm. he's a scottish right. writer uh he's my probably my favorite writer but yeah he, there's a character in that who's like a sort of mathematical philosopher or a philosophical mathematician and she has this she has this sort of conversation she brings out at dinner parties and it's simply where do the numbers go 
language feels like that like sure. you can't you can't separate these things they're all one one continuum or yeah so okay i guess I, i'll rephrase the question is is it cultural um i'm thinking of uh like if you've got a situation like an elf setting right so you've got mm-hmm. uh, a, say a french guy and he's um he's he's talking to uh, like an israeli and uh a guy from mozambique i think mm-hmm. um and you know they're all using english it's not their first language um do we see the same sort of pragmatics that we see in in like scotland or i mean does does the english pragmatic situation or the english cultural pragmatic situation carry with the language or do we just get um a different cultural like different pragmatics uh that are sort of separated from from a, from the british culture shall we say in the english language i mean it's kind of an easy question but mm. it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. i don't know I, i guess you could if you really dig deep in that then what is british culture what is mm-hmm. the english language you know it's english language it's it's spoken all over the world um and it has so many uh regional influences um and i i guess that doesn't stop with people whose first language is english i mean they're, they're, mm. if you you mention somebody from mozambique for example they're going to bring their own culture into the way they speak uh we tell people all the time that students um need to that or they shouldn't be afraid of losing their accent mm-hmm. okay um because it shows their identity and and mm-hmm. in the same way same way so does their their pragmatic competence i think yeah um yeah i mean the the, the we can we can put people into groups of um how they speak how they communicate with each other like the the example i gave before um like a really well uh, respected professor speaking to little me um you know who really maybe wouldn't go out for a drink together then they're, they're not used to dealing with each other um and then yeah there, there's so many things that we can mm-hmm. yeah and i just i mean when i first wrote that question i thought it was going to be quite easy because yeah like um you know when you take language to a different place and you have different people using it their culture will be um mm-hmm. they're going to utilize the language for their culture and i thought that was a very clear cut question but then i'm starting to think you know they've learned english and mm-hmm. they're using english and if you can't separate the language and the culture there must be sort of dregs of like british right. culture or american culture still there yeah, yeah, yeah. like the very yeah. simple thing that you know when you when um you, in, you meet someone for the first time you say how are you I'm fine thanks how are you I mean that is a culturally that's a culturally it's born out of a culture because you know you go to the middle east and people don't say that they say like peace be with you and all sorts mm. of other sort of phrases and there's a different angle Yeah sorry I, 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 live in, mm. I live in Germany yeah in northern Germany as I mentioned before mm-hmm. um and if you I greet people I greet my colleagues every day when I see them and I'll I'll speak German 
Mm -hmm. Okay, to them, it's the, the language of the workplace is German. But I'll say the German for how are you? Okay. And they look at me strangely because, like, well, I saw you yesterday, you know, uh, kind of thing. Uh, I told you yesterday how I was. Do I now need to tell you again? And then they, they, I don't know. I think they just keep me at a distance, you know, like. Mm. Um, whereas I, I'm not waiting. I'm not expecting an answer. I'm just kind of. Yeah. It's a natural. Uh, yes. greeting for them. Cool. So then, then here we have an example of taking a sort of English cultural sort of pragmatic uh, competence into a German language setting. Exactly. Yeah. And but the same thing is going to happen from, yeah. Mm -hmm. And the same thing is going to happen into English as well. So yeah. I'm not yeah. quite sure where ELF stands with that. This is an interesting um, point. So yeah, like who wins, right? Like, uh, right. And I guess it's a very complex web of do you continue using how are you if you're if you're in this sort of uh, elf setting or do you um try using what like try translating whatever you would say in your first language into english mm -hmm. yeah okay i'm not sure gabriel if you gave me this idea mm -hmm. or it may have been somebody else uh, it's one of two people that i know definitely gave me this idea that um Native speakers are recognized, or, okay, sorry, native speakers, proficient speakers, people Let's, whose first yeah. language is English, okay. um, are recognized as, and it is, I've, I've seen it several places as a BBC headline as well, I think, as being the worst communicators. Mm -hmm. I was going to bring this um, up later, but yeah, go on. Yeah, yeah. And I think it was your suggestion that why don't we write a, a guide, a, a teaching or a communication guide or something mm -hmm. like that for uh, people whose first language is English that need to deal with people who speak other languages. Yeah. So the, the, the book that I've written, I have kept that in mind from, mm -hmm. from what I heard. Uh, so it's not just for people teaching learners of English, but also users of English learning to communicate with others. Yeah, especially in an international setting. Exactly. Yeah, that yeah. was me. I, I even started like making plans for that company. I was, it was going to be called uh -huh. Badger International. Um, right. Yeah, I, I didn't go further with it. But um, yeah, I, I, I even got some leads and stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm. I think someone should do that, though. I think there should be a company mm. because I, I even did some research. And yeah, companies are losing a lot of money because of this. There are a couple of studies. Definitely for it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah mm. People can save money and make money especially after Brexit, um, by being able to do that. Um, yeah, speaking of the cultural thing, um, pragmatics, and also going to, to back to the core of pragmatics, uh, you bring up in the book, you bring up uh, double meanings and ambiguity. A uh, lot of comedy is based on, on um, things being unclear or unexpected. Mm. And hey, I'm thinking from the student's point of view here, and you have stuff like especially in i think britain's quite you know british the brits are very famous for this but i think it's across the board with like english-speaking communities um that there are these in jokes double meanings um lots of sort of irony and sarcasm and lots of like the language alone will not get you through communicating in these language communities and I think also, mm -hmm. especially these days in the last 20 years, because of the internet and because of social media, 
it's not just a British thing anymore or an American thing anymore. Mm, it's, um, sure. you know, you mentioned in the book, uh, gamers, people gaming online have started evolving their own sort of language and way of communicating. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm sure like lots of, there are thousands, hundreds of thousands of internet communities and they're all developing their own languages. So if you're learning English and you need to be able to communicate, you need to be able to get over this wall, this pragmatic wall. You need to be mm -hmm. able to understand all these signals that are not there in the vocab, not there in the grammar. As a language learner, as an English learner, whether you're trying to integrate into UK society or whether you're trying to get into online gaming or whether you're, whatever it is, you need to be able to deal with these signals. How, how does one do that? Um, <laughs> Typical question. As a learner, um, well, you mentioned comedy. Comedy is a good place to start. Uh, trying, as I've heard so often people say, uh, I don't understand British comedy. Mm. I say, I don't watch it. Mm -hmm. You know, they want to learn the language, but they don't watch it because they don't understand it. Mm -hmm. Maybe ways to, to start as a teacher or as a coach or um, whatever your role is mm -hmm. in their uh, language learning. Um, maybe try to find ways, which I provided, um, for them to to deal with that and to overcome obstacles like that. Not necessarily to be able to do the same thing and to be funny, mm -hmm. uh, but just to understand and see why it's funny and yeah. how it works. Yeah. So it's it's kind of uh, you've got to get your hands dirty and you've got to mm. look at these yeah. situations. And I guess if you're like, yeah, into gaming, you'll just have to stay in the gaming community and analyze the strange <laughs> language that's going on there. And yeah, okay, yeah, cool. Um, comedy is really tough, though. <laughs> British comedy, especially. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, sure. that's that's hard stuff. But I think it's important. Well, I think, and, mm -hmm. I think I not think, just British either. It's yeah, it's any comedy in any yeah. country that you go to is going to be yeah tough. Yeah. It is tough. I say uh, maybe it's the last frontier. If you can do the comedy, you've, you've got the language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, I think it's, it feels very unfair as language learning. You know, if you're um, what was, uh, Gintas, you know, it doesn't feel fair. You're learning the language. You're learning the words. You're learning the grammar. You're learning the vocabulary. You're learning all this stuff. And then these people play all these tricks on you when you're trying to speak mm -hmm. to them or when you're trying to watch something on TV. And it's not fair. And I think exactly. we have to accept that it's not fair and there's another level to learning a language. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I have now written in my notes, quirk break. Um, I've, I've decided to introduce this thing, quirk break, probably just for this okay. interview. But, um, and in it, I'm going to put the quirky stuff um, that from the book. There's only a couple of things. Maybe I can even get a jingle going for this. I haven't got any jingles for this podcast yet. <laughs> quirk break, quirk break. Um, <laughs> so we're doing a quirk break. Um, so the first. The first quirk. The first quirk. You can call this the first quirk. Um, so a couple of just interesting points. It doesn't really merit much discussion. But um, during the war, during the Second World War, um, I love this. I didn't know about this until I read your book. During the Second World War, 
they wanted to be able to, you know, have the news on the radio, but they didn't want the Germans to understand the news because it could give away too many secrets. Um, so they they replaced all the BBC accented um, news presenters with people <laughs> from Yorkshire in North England. And I, I can't do a Yorkshire accent. Maybe you can, you lived in Glasgow. No, I don't think no, so. I'm not going to do it any justice. But it's very, it's difficult yeah. to understand if you're not used to it. It's a very different accent yeah, yeah. from the BBC one. And yeah, that was a really cool idea to like use di like a, a local dialect as a way of, um, I guess it was a way of like scrambling the the radio. <laughs> like it was yeah, sure, sure. yeah, creating a code. I was um, writing, I think I remember I was writing about, um, I started with rhyming slang, uh, Cockney rhyming slang, and then it went into Australian rhyming slang, mm -hmm. then uh, Polari as well. Oh, yes, I um, wanted to talk about that too, yeah. And then a friend, a friend of ours, Hannah Shipman, she, she, it was Hannah's suggestion, she said, oh, do you know about this? Do you know about the news in Yorkshire, in Yorkshire English? Oh, okay. So yeah. Hannah told you about yeah. this. She drew my attention to that. And she's okay. kind of, she's from Lincolnshire. So, yeah. She could probably do a Yorkshire accent. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah. But, yeah, you bring up some good stuff, like uh, Cockney rhyming slang. This is a real go-to for advanced teachers. They love teaching this stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not going to go into the details. If you're interested, look up Cockney rhyming slang. Uh, it's a weird, very creative uh, use of English. Um, and Polari, I found this really interesting. Polari, well, you tell me what Polari, what's Polari? What is Polari? I need to be careful here with the origin of Polari. Okay. Um, uh, it started as a, a, ah, okay. started as a, a slang, I think, that was used um, it's, if you look it up on um, on the internet in, in Wikipedia or somewhere like that, it's going to tell you that it was started in the criminal underworld. I'm not quite convinced mm -hmm. uh, that that's where it started. Uh, it was popular among uh, actors and things like that. It's also compared to the language of Punch and Judy, which also I'm, I'm not sure about. Maybe I shouldn't mention that. But then in probably in the last century, um, it was used as a way for people, um, homosexuals, to communicate with each other. Mm. Because homosexuality was... Other. Because it was illegal was criminal. at the time. Yeah, yeah. it was criminal, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, and they needed to find a way, I guess, to, to communicate with each other. Um, and... Without it's, anyone it's understanding. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. In the same way that Cockney rhyming slang yep. started as well. And yeah, I guess I, a lot of way a lot of ways of speaking that we, we have these kind of uh, special codes, uh, ways of speaking. Yeah. And they're used these this is using language and creating codes and creating new language um, sort of artificially, I suppose. In order, in order to uh, create solidarity and to protect a group of people. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. 
power and of exclude language. exclude maybe as well. Yeah, yeah exclude others. Yeah. yeah, that's true. It can be used to exclude others. I guess anyone who deals with teenagers on a regular basis knows this because teenagers are very good at this, aren't they? Like creating mm-hmm. language that excludes non-teenagers. Um, sure. Yes. And also, finally, in this sort of quirk break category, the first quirk, I, I, I'd love to see this. I haven't YouTubed this yet. Wrapping the news in Senegalese. So in <laughs> Senegal. Yeah. Yeah. So it, tell me about this. In, they, 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 the news is wrapped in, in Senegal. It started in Senegal and it <laughs> spread across the world pretty much in a lot of countries where uh, people maybe don't have access to the news or they, they need to be spoken to in a way that they can connect with. Ah, um, yeah. so this so isn't on it, television necessarily. Uh, I think it is in Senegal, mm. I think in Uganda as well, in English. Uh, mm. In Senegal, it started as a French idea and then it, it's it's spread. It's, yeah. Cool. So this is, yeah. so someone would see someone wrapping the news on, on mm-hmm. TV and then they would go off to somewhere where people didn't have much access to television and they would just wrap, right. it, wrap it back to the, to the mm. community. Wow. To, and, to connect with them. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, this is really interesting because, you know, this is this is an ancient uh, idea, isn't it? Because mm. uh, if you look at, like, I think, like Beowulf, for example, very, very old English text. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's written in rhyme. And, and I understand that mm. the, reason, the reason it's written in rhyme is so it's easy to remember, so people can recite it. No one could read or write, so people would just repeat it. So when it's rhyming... It's easier to remember. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Cool. I think it was in at IFL Brighton. I saw um, Arkela, uh, if I pronounce that correctly. Uh, he is a, what is he? He's a poet. Um, he trains people in theater and things like that. And he gave, a, I think it was a closing plenary, and he compared Shakespeare to hip hop. And he gave everybody lines from Shakespeare and lines from hip hop. And we couldn't tell the difference. Oh, fantastic. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, you, a, there's a TED talk about that as well. So okay. you can find him. Art Taylor, his name is. <laughs> okay. Uh, how do you spell that? I'm going to check that. I'm not sure if I pronounce it correctly. I think it's A K E L A. Okay, Okay, cool. Yeah, I didn't know about that. That sounds great. But um, yes, mm. this idea of using rapping or rhyme or um, rhythm to make people remember stuff. So mm-hmm. that's the first quirk over. Um, <laughs> insert jingle here. Or maybe the news rapping in Senegalese. That's a good way to finish that. Yo, international, désormais c'est officiel. La France légalise le mariage homosexuel. Leurs homos, leurs Sénégalais veulent pareil après l'exil politique, bientôt l'exil sexuel. Ne zappez surtout pas. Le Wolof, c'est dans un moment. La vraie info, c'est ici. Okay, so let's talk details. I've got a few. There were some major uh, areas in the book that are super, super, super interesting. Um, first of all, let's talk ELF, English as a lingua franca. Um, uh-huh. So non-native speaker to non-native speaker communication is is basically English as the lingua franca. Elf. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's interesting. I think the most like popular thing to talk about with elf, and we've already touched on this, is that research shows that 
non-native to non-native speaker communication you know people who have english not as their first language talking to mm -hmm. each other is clearer and easier to understand than native speakers with non-native speakers and even native speakers with native speakers so basically when the english guy turns up communication mm -hmm. starts getting lost and even if it's an english mm -hmm. guy with an english guy this is the most this is the oft quoted mm -hmm. oft quoted research um sure. i find this interesting i'm going to talk about issues <laughs> that research in a second but um what role does pragmatics play in this i got a, i got an idea on this i think it might be because these studies are focusing on the task and the message so when there's mm -hmm. when these studies are looking at sort of german guys communicating with peruvian dudes and um they're saying oh it's much clearer but when the english guy comes you know it becomes less clear i think these mm -hmm. studies are only focusing on the literal meaning of things like what is right. the message what is the task but i am imagining that there's not much pragmatics going on in these conversations there's not so mm -hmm. much between the lines work because people are focusing clearly on just the message this is just my idea i have no idea i haven't researched mm -hmm. it mm -hmm. Um, sure. But if this is if this is true, if if non-native speaker to non-native speaker communication is better because they're kind of ignoring all the little double meanings and ambiguity and comedy, and they're focusing on the message and they're focusing on the task, do we need pragmatics at all? If they're doing a great job getting things done, mm. right? I don't think. Uh, I, I don't think we can say pragmatics is an English thing. Okay, it's going to yeah. happen in every language. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not really sure if this answers your question, but I, I often tell my students about the, the handshake. Okay. Yeah. Um, stereotype, stereotypes, I don't like them, but um, there's a business deal going on. Okay. okay? And there's a, there's a Frenchman in the room. Mm-hmm. Okay, now when Frenchmen shake hands, it's one shake of the hand. Okay. okay, so they shake their hand once, and that's that's all. It's firm, but it's one shake. Mm -hmm. Okay, when the German shakes hands, uh, they they it's several shakes. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the German walks into the room. Uh, the Frenchman is trying to pull his hand away. Okay. And the German won't let go. He's still holding that hand. Mm -hmm. uh, both of them with the same intention. Then an Englishman stereotypically walks into the room, who is not quite so tactile. Okay, um, shaking hands. Yes, we do it if um, maybe we deal uh, with international clients, but between ourselves or between Englishmen, um, handshake is not really something that you do that often no we just give a wave uh, or something <laughs> exactly so there's kind of one person who doesn't want to shake hands at all another mm. person who does okay i'll do it once and the third person who won't let go yeah yeah okay and that's just before they've started speaking yeah well it means part of language yeah. isn't it right yeah mm. and the same thing in language as well yes yes yeah 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 um yes so i'm i'm wondering if yeah that means we we should just abandon no we just can't get away from it can we i mean there's no resolution to the handshake yeah. we can't we can't abandon pragmatics it's part of who we are mm -hmm. 
Cool. I was I had hoping. Mm-hmm. <laughs> God, God. When I was writing my book, I had an alternative title. I really wanted to give it this this title, and that mm-hmm. was the, the elephant in the classroom. Like and, but, but they said no. They let's make it clear. Okay, it's English is context. Let's let's work on that. It's going to be much clearer what the book is about. But I I like the the idiom the elephant in the room. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's like there's an obvious truth in the room, um, but we don't speak about it. Mm-hmm. And I think pragmatics is it is that's pragmatics in teaching. That's a great title, yeah. And that is pragmatics in teaching because it's something that is more difficult to teach, more difficult to mm-hmm. learn, and it's something that um, uh, Guntas had didn't think about at all mm-hmm. when he was learning sure. this yeah. stuff. Um, also, it's it's using pragmatic awareness as the title as well because you need to know mm-hmm. what the idiom is and what it means. Yeah, yeah, yeah. True. It's a good title. I can see from my from a marketing perspective why they went with English yeah. context. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. So that's the yeah English as a lingua franca. I guess we've drawn the conclusion that even in these sort of situations where there's no first language going on, pragmatics is still there. Um, Grice. Let's talk mm-hmm. about Grice now. Um, we I talked about Grice in a very early episode, in episode eight of this podcast. I remember. Yeah, yeah, you I heard listened it. to that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, yeah. But do you want to very quickly, like in a nutshell, talk about Grice and talk about his maxims because it's such an interesting part of language. I, I, I've just got them here in front of me. There's manner, manner, quality, quantity, and and relation. Okay, so quality is about being mm-hmm. true or about having enough evidence. Quantity mm-hmm. is. Um, that you you need to provide an appropriate level of information. Mm-hmm. Not too okay. much, not um, too little. Exactly. Okay. Relation and make sure that it's relevant. Mm-hmm. Okay. And manner. Uh, don't be obscure. Don't um, be am- ambiguous. Avoid ambiguity. Make it clear. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And the, the, the best example that I can can think of when I'm trying to explain Grice is you stop somebody on the street and you ask them for the, the, the way to the, I don't know, to the railway station. Okay. okay. Now, flouting them or, or not agreeing with this, uh, you could read the directions backwards. <laughs> okay. In reverse order. So, so you start at the railway station and then you make your way here. That's um, flouting the maxim of it's the last one, isn't it? That being mm-hmm. clear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Okay. You could lie. You could make something up, which has happened. Yeah. Okay. It's, Maximum yeah. quality. Yeah. Okay. You include too much information. So, for example, oh, yeah, uh, you go past this bookshop. Oh, it's a wonderful bookshop. You know, you can, you can get loads of stuff in there. Uh, they have English books. And, and then, yeah. Yeah. Um, and what else? Relevance. <laughs> so you can show yeah. them show them the way to the bus station, not the train station. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Great examples. Okay, that described it much better than I was attempting earlier. And so you have these these maxims, and they basically show you how to be like they show how good communication works. And mm-hmm. um, I was thinking about this, and I was also thinking about you know is twenty twenty one we've been living in a world of fake news and, um, mm-hmm. and propaganda 
quite intense propaganda on social media and so on for quite a long time now, you know, since almost 10 years, I suppose, when it really started. And I was thinking about this stuff through the filter of Maxim and a couple of things. Fake news. Uh, this happens a lot. We've got fake news all over the place. And one of the most annoying things about fake news is um, a lot of fake news involves pointing at real news and calling that fake news. Um, mm -hmm. and it, gets, it becomes such a muddle and so confusing sure. very quickly. But once you start looking at it through, through the maxims, it becomes a lot easier to understand. You can say, oh, he's it's just violating the maxim of quality. Mm. Most of the time sure. it's just, is that true? And it's really, and do you have enough evidence? These two things are very important. Um, and it's just a little tick box to go, okay, mm. yeah. is it true? Sure. Is there enough evidence? Um, so simple, but that's the maximum of quality. Does it pass the maximum of quality? Um, and I'm, yeah, I just, it's just an observation. I think it's a really good way of looking at things. And I think it's good that you brought up Bryce in the book because of that. Oh, sure. I, I can't write about pragmatics and not mention Bryce. I mean, yes. everything kind of started, mm. well, it started, goes back to speech acts with Austin and things like that. But mm. Bryce kind of uh, first um, proposed what he called the cooperative principle. cooperative principle and ever since then this was in the late 60s I think ever, ever since then people have just argued and found alternatives way, uh, to to argue with Christ but there's mm. nothing really been found to to match it yeah it's very yeah. simple that's the key of it and um, I was mm -hmm. thinking I've been reading um, a lot recently this uh, this writer as I can't remember his name, so I'm not going to do it justice. He wrote a very good book. I think it's called Nothing is True and Anything is Possible. And it's about mm -hmm. um, sort of 21st century Russia and how truth is completely sort of ambiguous in, in the political mm -hmm. and in the media landscape. And um, sure. I was thinking about propaganda, propaganda in the good old days and propaganda now. And they're vastly different. So if we go back like behind the Iron Curtain, if we go back to like, you know, 1960s uh, USSR or, or whatever, and the way propaganda would work back then, um, mm. I'm not saying it was just then, by the way, I don't want to make <laughs> a bit more balanced, but I'm going for them because they're really, they're, it's an easy target, USSR, Soviet stuff. Um, mm -hmm. And the way that the propaganda worked there was that you would not give information you would you would withhold information um you wouldn't tell people about what was happening in certain places um there would be lies as well but one of the most powerful things was not to let people see things and not to let people know about things so here we have a, a clear um like uh breaking the the maximum of quantity right not mm -hmm. providing sure. enough information but then the wall fell and the soviet stuff is all over now and um, but we still have lots of propaganda around the world and um, all over the world now. And with the Internet and the freedom of information, you can't do that anymore. You can't withhold information. It's all there. Mm -hmm. So what do you do? You go the opposite way. You still mm -hmm. break, break the uh, maximum quantity. But instead of withholding and not providing enough, you overload it. You provide too much. And this is how yeah. propaganda works now. When you go online and you see all this stuff, there's, you'll have a, a speech by a politician 
I'm thinking of a few in particular. I'm not going to say their names. <laughs> and they will contradict themselves seven times in this one speech. And it doesn't matter because they're providing so much information yeah. that sure. it becomes effective propaganda. Sorry, I was a bit of a rant. Or, yeah. <laughs> or we, or we uh, I can think of one politician who said that we'd all misunderstood. We'd, uh, we hadn't understood that it was a joke. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. it's just a joke. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think I think especially in this very difficult time, Bryce is really valuable because mm -hmm. you, can, you can really understand what's going on and it becomes much less distressing. Yeah. Digital literacy should um incorporate Bryce. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Sure. yeah. Um Yes, sorry, it's go interesting you say that. Um, there's an illustration. Um, let me just check that for you. Uh, there's an illustration of the different levels of uh, linguistic competence. Mm -hmm. um, and it starts with phonetics and then it moves up. It's like a ladder. It's, it's yeah, like a hierarchy. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Into phonology, morphology, uh, like looking at the words and things, and syntax, so you're putting the words and phrases into sentences, uh, semantics, and, and then right at the top is pragmatics and mm -hmm. understanding meaning in context. And the people who put this together, it's been shared. Uh, if you look up pragmatics, Google images, you're going to find, like, I think it's a, um, it's like a bullseye, I think, and that the outer ring uh, is pragmatics, you know, mm. like the, the highest level or what, whatever, but that's been put together by some people who were um, computer um, or IT people, not, not linguists, linguists mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. yeah. That's interesting. So that of, yeah. Because that assumes that the target is phonology. <laughs> the target exactly. of learning yeah. languages yeah. is phonology. If only it was that so, easy. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. No, that's yeah, a hierarchy is not how it works. That's that's so true. Mm. It mm. it's it's all meshed together. It's a spaghetti yeah, yeah, yeah. bolognese. Mm. Yeah. Um that's great. Um let's talk about leech. Okay, future me here. Uh, just a little uh, quick interjection because I realised uh, that Andreas and I did that terrible thing when we both assumed that everyone understood who Leech was and what he talked about. So we didn't really uh, explain it. So here we are, very quickly. I'm just going to read directly from uh, Andreas's book. Uh, where Grice was interested in how things can be said indirectly, Leach was concerned with the impressions that our utterances have upon the hearers. This has become generally known as linguistic politeness and should not be confused with courtesy. Leach's politeness maxims were tact, speaking in terms of benefit to the hearer. For example, Leach compared the phrase peel these potatoes with do have another sandwich. While both sentences are orders, the second is much friendlier or more polite, as it offers a positive reward for doing whatever it is, making it difficult for the hearer to refuse. Uh, generosity, minimising the benefit to the speaker, for example, comparing you must come and have dinner with us and we must come and have dinner with you. And could I borrow your car seems kinder and less presumptuous than could you lend me your car. Approbation, Praising the hearer instead of the speaker, for example, how clever of you, and not how clever of me. 
modesty, minimizing the praise of the speaker. For example, how stupid of me is much more clement than how stupid of you, which can be seen as a personal attack. Agreement, seeking to avoid disagreement between the speakers. For example, saying that's interesting instead of voicing your disapproval. I hear what you say respects the hearer's opinion, even though everyone knows there is a but coming. And finally, sympathy, expressing feeling and understanding with the hearer. For example, I'm so sorry to hear that your team lost the game will endear the speaker to the hearer much more than I'm so pleased to hear that your team lost the game. While the non-preferred sentences above may seem unlikely, they are often adopted in a playful way, or by those who purposely attempt to inflame or attack group members. In gaming forums and social media platforms, people who do this are known as trolls. Great. Uh, I hope that gives you a better idea about what we're about to start talking about. On with the podcast. Mm -hmm. Leech. Okay. Uh, Who was Leech? What did he do? Okay, Leach uh, was around about the same time as Grice. He he wrote a book called The Principles of Pragmatics, mm-hmm. um, and he started to introduce us to politeness. And he added to to Grice's maxims. Leach mm-hmm. is really my my top guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to a summer school in Lancaster some years ago, where uh, to celebrate thirty years of. Uh, principles of pragmatics and Leach was there oh, cool. uh, and it was really yeah pretty exciting Fantastic. did you, did uh, you meet him i did i did okay. and I, I spoke to him and yeah very good memories of that time cool um did you plug the book sorry <laughs> did you plug the book while you were there did, uh, no no the book was still in my mind at that time oh, okay I think it wasn't yeah <laughs> sure but uh, he introduced further maxims that kind of dealt with um, uh, politeness. So he spoke about tact and generosity, approbation, um, mm-hmm. modesty, mm-hmm. sympathy, things like this. Yeah. Okay. So, so um, yeah. I think this is an, a more familiar area, especially for people learning a language, because, you know, it's it's basically about different ways of, being polite and respectful to mm-hmm. the listener, right? Sure. And you, yeah. we get, we even get that stuff in course books. I think it's easier to easier to teach mm-hmm. that stuff because I think it's very bound with language. Um, polite language is 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 quite teachable, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Um, I think the, a big difference between Grice and Leach, in from a sort of international point of view, I suppose. Um, Leech's maxims feel quite culturally specific because mm-hmm. polite, politeness all changes a lot um, across right. cultures. Whereas um, with Grice, it's more about you know the nature of what you're trying to say, um, the nature of your message. But with Leech, it's kind of very much about more of an interactive thing, isn't it? It's about how to be mm-hmm. how to be nice to people. Um, sure, but yeah. you know you have. Although, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go on. Sorry, um, I think it's it's maybe worth pointing out that they were not trying to tell us how to how to speak. Mm-hmm. They were just observing what happens with the yes. language. They were they were not teachers. Uh, they were they were linguists. So they they yeah. they were just watching what was going on with the yeah. language and 
and writing about that. This was was it the seventies when this was was going on? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm presuming because you know the nature of like linguistic research at the time was probably in quite a monocultural. Um, mm. The people they were observing might all have just been people from London, or <laughs> it was much less diverse because it was a less international environment. The world was less less international. <laughs> That's a contradiction in terms, but um, less diverse, I suppose. And um, I'm wondering if um, because you know you have classic examples, right? You have like uh, being indirect in British culture is very mm. very polite. But if you're indirect in Russia, it's considered evasive and rude. Um, right. So, yeah, these these have to. I guess the maxims are valuable, but they they feel a little bit too grounded in in particular culture. I think. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just wondering okay. how they can yeah. how they can be um like how they can be transferred. Like whether you could look at them and see your own cultural or your own sort of language community and see how they could how they could work and how they could be altered. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I mean, what, what do you think? Do you think that's, that's manageable? I mean, they, mm-hmm. yeah, these, these were kind of the initial uh, stages of um, this kind of thinking, this kind of observation. And then after Leach came Brown and Levinson, mm-hmm. uh, who started, and I, my, my book is kind of structured um, based on Brown and Levinson, oh, okay. uh, who started speaking, they observed several languages, what goes on in different languages, um, and they spoke about things like negative uh, negative politeness, positive politeness, yeah, being very direct, being off record, this kind of thing. And uh, face, mm. I like this idea, the saving face, because mm. um, mm-hmm. they talk. It was Brown and Levison that talked about uh, face. So by face, we mean... Face-saving um, strategies. And, yeah. yeah, face-saving strategies. Yeah. How not to be embarrassed. Because we all get embarrassed when we're talking all the time. Right. We hide it, but we do. Um, and we're all worried about looking like a fool. So mm-hmm. when we're already... Let's bring this to the language learner again. When we're thinking about the language and which words to use and which grammar and tense to use... Um, how can we sort of avoid looking like a fool? How can we avoid um, being embarrassed by the social side of things? Is there an easy mm. answer to that? And do Brown and Levison provide the, a clue or a, a framework for that? Uh, as regards to framework, um, yeah, I think there's a framework that you can work with, and that's what I've tried to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of talk in teaching now about uh, intercultural competence yeah. and, and things like that. Uh, and I've seen like quizzes and things produced uh, in, for these kind of classes where what do you know about this country? And it, it's, a lot of it is fact and food and the flag or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think, this, I think this just takes it to a, a very different level mm. to how we actually communicate. I like that, yeah. And I think the, um, the leech, leech can help with that as well. So mm-hmm. using what they've observed as a way of learning about a different culture. Exactly, mm-hmm. yeah. That's cool. 
So, yeah. okay. and, and also, we can't say that, okay, this culture is um, indirect, this culture is direct, mm -hmm. uh, but there are, like with English, for example, there's a lot of phrases that you won't have in other languages, like you said, uh, about indirectness, mm -hmm. there's a lot more there seems to be a lot more in English ways of, you know, all this flowery language. That Would you terrify To the Germans, for example, exactly, it, it seems insincere. Yeah. What we're trying to do in, in English, by speaking English, we're, we're trying to uh, protect ourselves, save ourselves, save our face. Uh, but in another language, it's seen, or to another people from another country, mm. it's seen as lying, as being insincere. Yeah. Uh, trying to con you in some way, you know. Yes, and actually that yeah. brings me to an interesting point because we, Grice talks about, um, you know, uh, give me a second, I've got a note here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, Grice sort of works from a point of view of being cooperative, right? And mm -hmm. um, communication flowing and people being able to understand each other well. I get the feeling with Leach and his politeness principles that it's, uh, he talks about goals, which is interesting. Um, mm -hmm. um, pragmatics is about implication. Uh, in, my, in my view, it feels more like it's about implication. So introducing this idea of goal was quite interesting. And then I started thinking, mm -hmm. okay, Leach is kind of showing us how we can get what we want and how we can sort of manipulate yeah, people and yeah. sweet talk people. And you have this sure. politeness principle, which seems very nice, but then you, it, it, it started feeling quite sinister to me. And it was like, <laughs> okay, Leech is uh, showing us how to, <laughs> how to carry out our hidden agenda. I'm, I'm being extreme right. for the sake of the fact. But, um, and it reminded me, have you seen the film Funny Games? No. Danish yeah. film, I think, actually. Um, okay. Right. Very old. And in short, it's a, a horrible film. It's terrifying. Um, there's a, a lovely family, like uh, parents and a, a young child and a dog. And they, they've gone on this sort of summer holiday, like um, chalet, like a, a nice house that they're renting. And then these two polite, uh, dressed in white, lovely, clean men uh, who, who live next door, like, come and they're really polite and super polite and formal and lovely um, mm -hmm. but they're not lovely because over over the course of the film they are just being polite and basically manipulating the other people to do things and through being polite because you wouldn't you can't refuse a polite request um, mm -hmm. and so they're they, it ends up in a terrible way. I mean, the family is completely held hostage. There's no threat of violence. There's no guns. There's nothing like that. Um, through sheer politeness, they terrorize this family. It's a sort of sick sort of pleasure. Okay. Um, right. Dark, dark film, but um, they're totally exploited. Yeah, it's a very good film. Um, it got yeah. remade, American one. I don't know if the American one's any good, but um, I guess the Danish one will do. It's very good. And... Um, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. The whole film is based on pragmatics. The whole film is based, I think, a little bit on Le using Leech's uh, maxims okay. because they're just following okay. his maxims. I, I guess they're more specific to Danish uh, politeness, but right. I thought it was an interesting premise. Um, and I, I felt with Leech, it felt a bit funny games <laughs> at its okay. worst. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I'm, I'm a skeptic. Reminds me, I, 
Yeah, reminds me. I, I before COVID started, before we we had to sit still in our respective countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, I used to travel a lot. I used to present a lot. And I remember um, I went to, I think it was to to Sweden, and I spoke to a group of teachers there uh, about teaching English. And they said, um, one person came up to me and said, tell me, England, you know, um, football hooligans, that's what they're famous for. Um, Road rage, you know. Mm -hmm. How come that there's all this aggression and at the same time there's so much politeness? like polite phrases, ways mm-hmm. of saying things, avoiding saying things directly. And I, I went away and I thought about that for a long time. And I think it was, I could be wrong again, I think it was Hugh Della that I spoke to and I said, Hugh, what do you think? This is really bugging me, this question. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think it was Hugh, he said, we have these strategies to protect ourselves from ourselves. Ooh. Yeah. That's, that's a very huge thing to say. But um yeah, so we 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 use the politeness because we're we're bubbling with rage underneath and we need mm. to we need to shine shine. Also that. To, like just a phrase like um for example, let me see. Um would you mind if I opened a window? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Or um or, uh, for example, you can say no if you want to. Or I, I don't suppose. Uh, I don't suppose. I don't suppose I could borrow your car. Okay. Okay. If you say no, that's fine because I've already said I don't mm-hmm. suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If yes. if you say yes, I yes. I would mind. <laughs> It it's reminds me of face. I've already protected myself. Yes, that. it reminds me of yeah. um, the nervous teenager who's trying to ask somebody on a date. I I know you don't want to, but do you want to? Um, <laughs> and you, you know, prefacing. I know you don't want to. I know you're going to say no. Right. But, uh, yeah, you're probably sure, sure, don't sure. want to. Uh, um, yeah, I that, I think there's some sense in that. So it's face saving technique, being polite. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's to an extreme. Um, of course, we're not all like that. No, uh, no, this is also kind of going in the, some, you know, somewhat of a stereotype. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I personally believe that every everyone around the world is boiling with rage underneath. So, mm. <laughs> no, <I'm joking>. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. Yeah. I think um, I've, I've covered basically everything, or we've covered everything. Um, I wanted to finish with the takeaway bit. Um, <laughs> So I, in, the book is divided into three parts, right? It's part of the Delta um, teacher training, um, teacher development series. Yeah. Um, and so it follows a pattern of all of these books, which is A, B, is a, B and C. Yes. And is it B or C? I can't remember. That has Basically, it's a whole chapter of exercises that you can use in your classroom immediately. It's B. It's B. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. what I've done in my book is uh, there's also a section of very short activities. Uh, like if you are stuck for something to do, you need something quickly, uh, you can just pull on that and, and use it with zero prep. That's good because I wanted to ask um, 
for three exercises for learners. Now, I know that um, a lot of the advice in the book is um, has sort of case studies, role plays, guided discoveries, and um, things that work really well with the sort of teacher-student dynamic. And they're mm -hmm. really good exercises, like, by the way, really, really cool, really creative. Love them. I'm just wondering, students who are self-studying, self because I think a lot of our, our listeners um, are kind of self-learners, and they're, they're not really going to classes so much. And mm -hmm. what kind of, what advice, what three takeaway exercises, uh, if you can pull any off the top of your head, that students, mm -hmm. learners can just do by themselves in order to improve their pragmatic awareness? Um, this really is from the top of my head. Okay, um, I'm challenging. Because I, yeah. <laughs> I think one, one thing that I find really useful is an app called Radio Garden uh, or, okay. or MyTuner, which allows you to tune in to any radio station around the world. I've seen this, it's amazing, yeah. Yeah, um, and it, it works basically like Google, what was it called? It wasn't Maps, but I haven't used it for a long time now. Google Globe, you kind of get the globe. Oh, that was an old thing. And then thing, you can zoom. Yeah, I think yeah, so. Google Earth, I think it was called. Google Earth, that's yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you need to, or you, you, you have like the globe and you can spin it around and you can do things, zoom in on areas and whatever. And every green dot that you have is not only a city, but it's all radio stations. Mm -hmm. And you can just play with that for ages. I mean, I'm from the generation where I would sit with a shortwave radio and see what I could tune in <laughs> as a yeah. kid. Um, so that really appeals to me. And I think it's a good thing for learners as well if okay. they want to understand how people converse in Canada, for example. Yeah. Uh, they can go to Canada, they can pick up on conversation and then try to pick up on what they're talking about. That's great. So you go from mm -hmm. like Texas to Canada to Philippines to Singapore to South Africa, mm -hmm. in a lot of Australia. Yeah, that's great. So you can pick up on not just accents and, and dialects, but also just the humor and the way people kind of talk. Yeah, yeah great. Right. Okay, good exactly. one. First, first, yeah. first one. Great. Radio Garden. Yeah, which is funny. On my tuner as well. It's on my TV as well. If you have like a, a TV with apps, uh -huh. uh, then you can you can watch you can download it or it's probably already installed. That's great. Also, I like the name Radio Garden because it's uh, one half of one nineties band and another half of another nineties band. <laughs> right. Yeah. Radio true. True. Now Garden. Yeah. 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 Radio Garden, the ultimate nineties band. Um, <laughs> yeah, cool. Okay, um, can you can you can you pluck two more tips? I'm going to take one as well, which is not from my book, but it really is a lifesaver at this time when people are having to teach from home mm -hmm. um, and they don't see their classes, and you maybe you want to do some um, work on some um, working with words in context. And this is an app. Um, I don't have the, the link for you, but maybe we can find that later and you can share okay. that. Uh, it's called Code Words. Code Words, yeah, Code Words. And you can play with people you don't know or you can play with people in your class. You can set it up and basically you get a grid of words. Mm -hmm. And you, one person is then elected 
to try and get the others uh, to say as many of the words that this person is given that the others don't see mm -hmm. um, based on a context. Ah, based on a context. That's the key so, of this. Yeah, yeah, and it's your understanding of the context. Oh, great. Okay, so excellent. could you give an example of how yeah. that might flow? Uh, so you could have, for example, pineapple um, could be a word. Mm -hmm. uh, you could have, um, what's another one? Um, maybe ivy. Okay. Okay, and maybe I'm just looking at things around me right now. <laughs> um, you could have forest. Okay, so these are totally... Uh, forest is a good one. This okay, came forest. up in my lesson the other day, the word forest. Okay. okay. And uh, the student wrote male. Okay. Okay, this was a clue to, to the words that you had to guess. So, and nobody got the word male, or male. nobody could... Yeah, M-A-L-E. Okay, so female, male, male. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. And forest was one of the words that we could guess. Okay. And I thought, ah, oh, forest, that's male. Forest Whitaker, forest Gump. Uh -huh. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so so that, that's how it works. You, you need to try a, and make connections with. It's a, a yeah. lat lateral thinking. Exactly. Um, okay. That's yeah, great because yeah, yeah. you yeah. really get into someone's head. Um, uh -huh. Cool. Yeah, great one. So yeah. code words. Yeah, play with yeah. Um, other English speakers and get inside their heads. Mm -hmm. That's exactly. Great. great. Yeah. Okay. And have you got a third? Third tip? Um, what can I come up with? What can I give you? Everyone always does three. Maybe two is a good number. Another one that you okay. might want to think about is like um, there, there was a competition. I think it was a emoji spelling bee Ooh, an emoji spelling bee okay how does that yeah. work uh so there's a guy who was appointed um the the world's first emoji translator by a marketing firm in london and as part of his interview there were lots of applicants and they had an emoji spelling bee and they had to try to to write sentences i think he ended up writing the the, the old testament or something in <laughs> emoji mm -hmm. um so that's something that you could play around with as well taking oh. sentences and then getting characters to so you're replacing the old yeah. testament but like, <clears throat> yeah yeah i <laughs> it wouldn't be my first choice <laughs> yeah that's great so you could think of a sentence and then you can mm -hmm. instead of yeah, you have to write the sentence just using emojis. That's mm -hmm. good. Yeah, that would uncover a lot of sort of um, cultural and uh, relationships between things like forest and male. Yeah. Sure, sure. Great. I've done this in my class. I've given my, my class uh, an emoji uh, spelling test or emoji. Like I, I give them a, a phrase with my class, I'll give them the phrase and then I'll get them to draw the emoji that relates to that. And the, the best one, my favorite one okay. is the, the pile of poo uh, oh, yeah. emoji. The poo emoji. Yeah, exactly. Now in Europe, um, it's basically meant um, used, I think, uh, to to symbolize crap, you know, something yeah, is like rubbish, rubbish is negative. Yeah. yeah. But in Japan, where it I think originated from it means good luck. Poo means good luck in Japan. Mm -hmm. okay. Because the word, the Japanese word for 
uh, poo oh. is very similar to luck. Oh, so it's a semantic thing. Yeah. yeah, that's so cool. Also, I was thinking that happens, you know, if a pigeon poos on you or a mm -hmm. bird poos yeah, on you, yeah. it's considered good yeah, luck. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Great. Okay, so this is good because then you get un a good way to uncover cultural references. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sure. Great. I'm going to recap that. So radio garden for mm. the radio, yeah. code words for uh, getting inside of, uh, an English speaker's mm. mind. And uh, hmm. yeah, an emoji spelling bee. Great. And these are just, these are just off the top of my head. I mean, there's I think eighty activities or eighty yeah. ideas in the book. Right? Yeah, so. the book will. Yeah, the book has a whole section on. Is it over eighty? Mm. Wow, that's great. Um, mm. Yeah, for teachers and learners alike. So yeah. Yeah, and you... I tell people as well, it's not just a teaching book because there's lots, like you pointed out before, there's lots of anecdotes and things like that, bits about the language. So even yeah. if you're not that... a teacher, but you're both interested in language. and Yeah, that's what I find really happy. cool about books like this because things, you know, think everything's connected. If you're just someone who's interested in language, um, you should still be reading books like this, even if they're primarily directed mm -hmm. towards teachers. Um, sure. Yeah, I think that's that's a really valuable thing. And also, if you're a learner, it's good to know. I think that the, the world of learners and the world of teachers should be much more uh, intertwined. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 If you're learning a language, see how the teachers think. And also, it's good for teachers yeah. to understand what it's like for the learners. Yeah, and sure. also to see what, what the linguists are doing, you know, what, what mm -hmm. they're observing about the language as well, what's going on with the language, how's it changing, all this kind of thing. Yeah, that's where the really interesting mm -hmm. stuff is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, fantastic. And yeah, we covered a lot of that today. Um, before we finish, do you want to plug your pluggables? As <laughs> the Go book ahead. is English with Context and then with a subheading Practical Pragmatics for Clear Communication. Uh, so it's not just about pragmatics, but it introduces pragmatics. It's not, um, I've tried not to make it a kind of heavy academic book, which I don't think it is. It's The intention is basically for it to entertain, entertain people with the language and to have fun with the language. Mm -hmm. um, I've tried to carry that on with my blog, which is uh, the bird is a word or one word dot org. Mm -hmm. Um, and I also present quite a bit still, even though I said two years ago, uh, webinars are not for me. I'm not going to go online. I'm not going to teach online. That's all changed. Mm -hmm. um, I've now got <laughs> workshops coming up. I've got one at the IA TEFL conference coming up very soon. What's it on? Uh, English is context. Um, so yeah, it's hmm. it's a promotional thing for the book. I'll be sharing activities from the book and um, sharing a few thoughts there. Cool, cool. And yeah, great. Yeah, so lots of places to be found online. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Great. Well, yeah, Andres, do you have any questions or do you want to add anything final? <laughs> add anything final? That sounds a bit ominous. Is there anything you'd like <laughs> to add before we finish? <laughs> I don't think so. Just uh, please feel free to get in touch with me. Anyone that uh, does get the book, that does um, 
uh, read or listen to our conversation today. I'd love to hear what you think, even if you maybe don't agree with me. Um, I'm not asking you to. Um, just let me know what your thoughts are. Yeah, I think especially, I always like getting uh, emails from people that disagree with what I'm saying. I find it much more entertaining sure. and it's good, good to get the conversation going. Definitely. Cool. Yeah. All right, in that case, we'll leave it there. Thanks so much, Andreas. That was golden. Gabriel, Great. thank you yeah. so much. Absolute pleasure. Yeah. Wicked, and I hope to run into you online or preferably offline at a conference somewhere. Oh, that would be, that would be really cool. Yeah. Wicked. Cool, take care. Thanks a lot. Okay, you too. Thank you.